0: This is Recorded Future, inside threat intelligence for cybersecurity.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 123 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Our guest today is Josh Kamju. He's co founder of Sublime Security, a company that's looking to address the widespread security issues of phishing and spear phishing by offering open-source tools that alert users to a range of potential indicators, as well as giving users the opportunity to share their findings with the community to more quickly spread the word about new and growing threats. In addition, we'll learn about his career journey, get his thoughts on threat intelligence, and he shares his advice for folks looking to enter the field. Stay with us.
0: Kind of all started for me in high school. So I was fortunate enough to attend a high school that had a an information technology program. My high school was kind of ahead of its time and we even had the opportunity of getting like networking certifications like CCNAs and like Security plus and A+ Plus certifications. Hmm. And so that's really where I got my foothold and interest in technology in general. Uh, all started in high school. Uh, I was really motivated by some of my early successes there. So I was doing really well. You know, I got some certifications and eventually I made my way into security just by tinkering and, and um, really gain, gaining an interest in just breaking things and hmm. Um, getting access to things I, I shouldn't be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you had that natural curiosity and uh, but also the the tools clicked for you as well.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. I had uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be exposed to some of those things, the fundamentals of those things. And from there I kinda just went, you know, went all in and, and, and started exploring the security side of things and the offensive side of things just kinda on my own.
1: And so you finish up high school. Were you off to college then?
0: That's right. So uh, I went to the University of Maryland, and I studied computer science there. Um, I was heavily involved in extracurriculars as, as far as technology and cybersecurity go. So uh, freshman year, joined the cybersecurity competition team. So I, I was you know, heavily involved in like CTFs and um you know breaking into networks and and reverse engineering and and you know doing jeopardy style ctfs and that kind of thing uh eventually ended up leading the the competition team towards my later years in college really just solidified my interest in uh cyber and in uh offensive cyber specifically
1: yeah it's interesting you know i i too uh went to the university of maryland and uh, had a great experience there. But, you know, as I graduated, I, uh, looking back on it, it was really those extracurricular things that uh, led me to uh, the professional opportunities that I enjoyed after getting out of school. 100%. So much more of university time is is, is,
0: is more than just your academics, particularly in in, univer- in a university environment that affords you know all these different types of extracurriculars Um, if if there's you know if you have the opportunity to uh, be involved in these types of things that's where all these like relationships are formed that's where the experience is gained that's where you get to put a lot of the things that you're learning in a classroom environment to the test and uh, it's just a lot of fun I mean you you you're not being evaluated on you know ac- you know your your grades or or how effective you are on a test, but you get your hands dirty and uh, you get real world experience doing really fun things so uh, extracurriculars are absolutely key
1: now when you got out of school there what sort of uh, work were you uh, pursuing when it came time to pay the bills?
0: I have kind of a a mixed uh, work experience background. So I have uh, a a decent amount, primarily some government work Mm. um, in the, in the DOD space doing uh, offensive types of cyber, doing some forensics, doing some uh, reverse engineering, mainly offensive cyber related things. Um, and, And additionally I have, uh, some I, I went into some private sector work as well, mainly doing red teaming, penetration testing, um, phishing engagements. Uh, pretty much, it pretty much all gravitated towards offensive cyber. <laughs>
1: mm. Now you decided to start this company, Sublime Security. Um, and, uh, it, it, it's my understanding. It hasn't been a, a straight line sort of, uh, affair you perhaps, you know, what you guys started set out to do, uh, hasn't led you to where you are today. That's right. That's right. So we started
0: sublime in 2017 as a result of my, uh, offensive work. So I was realizing that there weren't really any, Defensive like email security products that were stopping me on my engagements, Hmm. and this is still true today. Like email, you know, email phishing attacks are like the number one cause of compromise. And so, um, I'm also a you know software engineer by trade. So I decided to take the problem into my own hands and build a solution that would stop me as an attacker. And so, what we set off to build was a point solution that would identify advanced forms of spear phishing. And instead of try and make a binary decision on whether we're going to quarantine an email or let it through, we would operate in this very gray area where the the advanced attacks live. And we would present signs of suspicion to the user directly in their inbox. So we would warn them when we think something is suspicious and we would tell them why. So as an example, we would say, this domain was registered three weeks ago and you've never contacted this person before, so we think this is suspicious. Hmm. So that worked really well. What we realized was that there was an even better way of solving the problem. So we had some early adopters, we had some early customers, Um, we were catching attacks that were bypassing all the email, all the other email security products today. Um, what happened was there was an attack that bypassed our product as well, mm. and so we quickly, you know, we quickly uh, started responding to this and building defenses to to address this attack vector. And we realized that this is this is a common thing that all organizations do and all email security vendors do they respond to attacks in this single-threaded environment. Um, but there's no collaboration, there's no sharing, there's no you know automation when it comes to this. And so what we realized was if we could open up our platform and make it open source and make it free to enable everyone to use it, we could actually respond to attacks a lot faster by enabling organizations to to do the things they're already doing, like responding to attacks, but uh, modify the core of the platform so that you're no longer uh, reliant upon the email security vendor. You have the power in your own hands and you can share those detections, share those improvements with other people in the community.
1: Hmm. So how does that play out, you know, from a practical point of view, do you find that I would imagine some folks are reticent to share those sorts of details.
0: Yeah, so the platform as a whole uh, does not have much sensitive in nature, um, it's just technology, things that um, you know, techniques for for detection. Mm. But how you actually string these detections together and to stop an attack are the things that are customizable. And so, as an organization that creates a detection, you can choose who you share those detections with. So, if you have a very close knit group of colleagues that you trust then you can choose to only share it to those people. And the beautiful thing is that this type of sharing is already done today, but it's very manual and it's very asynchronous over things like mailing lists or Slack groups. Mm. We want to enable real-time response to immediately adapt to threats. So to remove this manual component and allow people to collaborate in real time.
1: Well, let, let's back up a little bit, and, and maybe you can help me understand um, a little bit about this particular problem. When I think about email, um, it seems to me that garden variety spam is pretty much a solved problem. You know, I, I don't see uh, ads for Viagra popping up in my in my in box. You know, it seems as though the the big email providers they pretty much have that taken care of. Why is phishing different?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I would agree with that assessment. Phishing and spear phishing in particular are different because they're designed to look like legitimate business email. So the the really the really sophisticated attacks are not discernible or barely discernible from a legitimate email that you may receive in the course of your organization's business. That's why phishing defense is so difficult because you could stop all attacks, but you risk dropping or, you know, affecting legitimate business email delivery. So there's a very fine line that you have to walk. This was why our point of attack security training with these warning banners was so effective.
1: Because rather than simply... Hiding an email, you would inform the user that, hey, there's a certain uh, a percentage of chance that this is something that that requires a little more of your attention. That's exactly right. And if the user is
0: expecting this email, then they can safely disregard these warning banners. But we give them the information that they need. To make an informed decision. And so this training methodology with these banners has now become one component of our overall platform. So as an administrator or someone writing a detection, you could say, when cert- when these criteria are met, then insert this banner and say these things. It's very difficult to do something that customized today in email security.
1: Hmm. And and so the notion here is by sharing this information by, uh, it seems to me, like taking it to a different scale than it was previously possible to do. You, you know, you described how organizations are doing this, but it seems as though they're sort of siloed within the organization. By being able to share that information with a much broader group of people, um, that's sort of a, a force multiplier. That is a hundred percent
0: spot on. So, companies, especially sophisticated organizations, are doing this work in isolation today. So, you may have, you know, you have a SOC that is responding to an email threat, and they have some kind of customized, tailored solution to respond to an uh, to a phishing attack that bypasses their defenses. Today, there's no way of sharing that effectively in a common format besides just like the simple IOC, like maybe you could share a domain name or or an IP address. Um, Even that is difficult to ingest and share in a dynamic and automated fashion. We want to enable, just like you said... A, a sharing at a different scale. So the work that's done is no longer in isolation. It's fully shareable. It's fully automated. We can remove the human in the loop in some cases so that we can respond to threats in real time.
1: How has this changed your own thinking when it comes to you know, being a penetration tester, knowing how your own tools are going to respond to the attempts that you would make yourself um, does that create a, a, an interesting little mental puzzle for yourself? It does. It, in
0: fact, this approach makes me terrified as an attacker, uh, p- particularly, you know, a couple things make me terrified as an attacker. The, the warning banners, um, because those are really effective. And as, as a, you know, nation state or, or um, as a, a sophisticated attacker targeting multiple organizations, the speed at which organizations can now share uh, detections to to stop entire classes of attack vectors also makes me worried um, as an attacker. And so, as we are developing these defenses and thinking through, you know, how are we going to stop the next evolution of of techniques or of TTPs? My attacker hat is always on and. I'm thinking from an attacker, how would I bypass this? How would I, um, you know, like fool the system into getting, you know, allowing this through? And so that's constantly, it's constantly, a, a, you know, a, a factor in the defenses we uh, are, are building, which is part of the reason why they've been so effective and, and we've been able to build things that are um, catching attacks that, you know, no other email vendors are.
1: So where do you suppose this is going to head next? I mean, it seems to me that, uh, you know, we've seen this shift to phishing and to social engineering, partly because the technical tools have gotten better, and so the attackers had to move on to something else. Do you have any insights or any vision for if we're really able to, uh, or as our tools get better and being able to fight these sort of spear phishing types of things... Do you have any guesses where the next domain might be for the bad guys to come at us? yeah, it's a it's a great question. So I don't think the
0: email threat vector is is going anywhere. so I, I think I think defenses are gonna get better, but I think attackers are are going to get better and and we're all going to evolve. What I do think, we will see is as the landscape becomes more more challenging for attackers, the lower tier ones will start to pivot to different domains, more accessible domains um, that have not been addressed as effectively. And mm-hmm. so we'll see things like we, we've already started to see some of this in, in the form of you know SMS phishing and um, you know other types of group you know, chat environments. We've seen some, just recently, I think there was a headline today on um, deep fake voice impersonation for BEC, effectively. BEC mm-hmm. over artificial intelligence powered uh, deep fake for voice. And so they got an attacker to wire, or they got a, an organization to wire money by faking the CEO's voice. Um, so I think we will start to see these different domains as the phishing landscape becomes harder, but I don't think the email landscape is going anywhere. I think that is here to stay. And and the reason is organizations conduct all of their business through email. Externally, this is how they communicate with other people. So uh, I don't think it's going anywhere. We'll just have to adapt as new domains uh, come into existence and, and present a threat.
1: I want to get your perspective, your take on uh, threat intelligence, and um, the part that you think it plays when it comes to organizations defending themselves. Threat intelligence is key. So
0: there is this concept of herd immunity, and there is a concept of of benefiting from other, you know, collective knowledge. You would be a fool not to benefit from. a a collective body of knowledge that's that's effectively what threat intelligence is you have uh, identified either you know confirmed or or purportedly uh suspicious indicators you should benefit from those in your organization's defenses now the question is how are you doing that and and where is your threat intelligence coming from so what is the fidelity of your feeds you know what's how, how are you implementing them in your organization's defenses? Is it a first line defense? Is it is there any manual review? Um, is it automatic ingestion? And if so, how confident are you that the you know in the, in the true positives or false you know or the false positive rate? So that there's a lot of considerations, particularly in an environment today where threat intelligence is the field has become a bit flooded with vendors. So you do have to take care in, you know, your selection and and be mindful of how you're employing that in your environment.
1: What sort of advice do you have for that person who's, you know, coming up, either coming up through school uh, and is interested in cybersecurity, or maybe even somebody who's thinking about switching careers? Um, What sort of advice do you have for them? It's a
0: lot of fun. So uh, cybersecurity is one of my passions. I would say... If you are not, if you are not really interested in the subject, then you should not be. You should you should think about whether you really want to be in this field. And the reason is that the field is constantly evolving, and you have to stay current with the latest trends. Obviously, it depends on what what you want to be doing in the field. Um, for, for a lot of you know specific uh, roles or, or specific uh, types of work in cybersecurity, you have to stay current. So I would say ensure that you really want to do it. And if you do, it's going to be a wild ride. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, get your hands dirty as much as you can. Don't just read, like actually, you know, stand up environments and and Put into practice what you are reading because that's what helps solidify the learning. That's what helps you learn all these different edge cases and and that's what really makes you more more
1: well-rounded. Our thanks to Josh Kamju from Sublime Security for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Zane Picorni, executive producer Greg Barrett, the show is produced by The Cyberwire, with editor John Patrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.